There's never been a more important time to ensure your immune system is operating at its peak. This is Dr. Ronald Hoffman with a new natural solution from Future Farm Botanicals created exclusively to help promote a better immune response. Elderberry with zinc and echinacea. Future Farm's elderberry with zinc and echinacea is the first to combine these three powerful ingredients together. Elderberry is packed with antioxidants, vitamins, and may boost your immune system. Echinacea has been shown to activate chemicals in the body that decrease inflammation, and zinc activates T lymphocytes. Low zinc has been associated with increased susceptibility. For more information and order, call 888-841-7216. That's 888-841-7216, or go to myfuturefarm.com slash Hoffman. That's future P-H-A-R-M, myfuturefarm.com slash Hoffman. Elderberry with zinc and echinacea is all natural, science-based, and works without adverse side effects. Myfuturefarm.com slash Hoffman, myfuturefarm.com slash Hoffman. Welcome back to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and we're discussing a great new book, Nervous Energy. What a great title. Harness the Power of Your Anxiety. And the proposition here is that high-functioning individuals have a lot of nervous energy. It, it, it's good. It motivates them. It gets them where they need to go uh, professionally and personally. Uh and uh, if they were, if they didn't have a lot of nervous energy, maybe they'd just be complacent. They wouldn't accomplish anything. On the other hand, that nervous energy and anxiety can be crippling. But, uh, Dr. Chloe, I've had an interesting study in front of me here. Uh, it made it into medical news today. Headline, stress may have some important cognitive benefits, according to a new study. If you haven't seen it, I'll send you the link. But uh, what they found in this uh, study... Uh, 10% of the participants did not report experiencing stress during the study period. These individuals are even more likely to experience positive moods and less likely to have chronic health conditions. On the other hand, the participants who did not experience stress scored lower on the cognition test than those who did. The differences in scores equated to the cognitive decline that would occur in approximately eight years of aging. So, uh, you know, maybe that's what they call... In uh, psychology, EU stress, EU stress, good stress, stress that kind of is your wake-up call. That is fascinating. That That's a lot to digest, but truly that sounds fascinating. I mean, in fact, um, yeah, if you'd even share it to me over social media, I would love to just reshare that on all my channels because I just think that sounds like truly fascinating research. And yeah, I was actually thinking you stress as well, uh, that there's a component of you stress that people don't always realize, which in case anyone listening doesn't realize about you stress, it's uh, just as Ron said, it's EU as in euphoria, the same root word there. So it's the stress from positive events like getting married or buying a new house that still, you know, put a little tax on us stress-wise and life event-wise and all that stuff. So uh, people who don't know that they kind of need to debrief from that stuff, sometimes even almost turn on themselves sometimes. Like if they're like, I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm supposed to be happy right now. And, you know, here mm -hmm. I am, they a stress themselves. case. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah and, they, and they get stressed even about the stress, you know, which is so sad, of course. And so um, it's always, to me, just such a, great lesson. And I'm so glad I got to share it in the book too, to just share with people that there's a component of positive stress. But what's interesting, if I heard you correctly, Ron, and what you read also, is that um, 
people with the higher U stress were scoring lower on the cognitive tests. Is that what you said? Uh, let's see if we could put it in different terms. Uh, those who did not experience stress scored lower on the cognition tests than those who did. Ah, who, who, yes, so, those who did not experience yeah, stress. Yeah, right. Okay. So, so, so in other words, I mean, look, it's obvious that stress has uh, affects the brain in a negative way. I mean, there's no question that chronic, you know, patients who are who who have uh, severe depression or or lifelong crippling anxiety uh, experience more rapid brain deterioration. It, it literally stress shrinks the part of your brain that's associated with uh, with memory, the hippocampus. However, what they're saying in this study is that paradoxically, moderate stress seems to be associated with um, uh, brain preservation, right? So, you know, yes, I, yeah, go, yes. No, so, so, so take it from there. You know, I, the, the point being, and I think your book uh, beautifully states it, is that, you know, we're not aiming for a stress-free life or nirvana, you know, a state of bliss, you know, where we sit cross-legged in ashram and, you know, think, uh, you know, that's nice for <laughs> some really high achievers on the spiritual plane, but for the average uh, person, uh, you know, it it the the goal is to channel the stress. Right. We may actually enjoy more stimulation, and you know, to your point also, Ron, about chronic stress, you know, being associated with more you know cognitive difficulties. What I think might be going on there also, um, and with what you read from the study, is that we prolong stress by being afraid of it, by, mm -hmm. you know, kind mm -hmm. of being in denial of it mm -hmm. or, you know, not knowing what to do with that nervous energy. So we downplay it or we minimize it, um, you know, or we, you know, just ruminate with it. And that ironically is how we prolong the stress that we're having, you know, by, by not knowing what to do with that nervous energy boost that we get when we encounter a stressor. Indeed. What, what are some of the other practical techniques? I mean, it, we, it, it, the book is uh, very detailed and it, it, you know, it's hard to convey the nuances that you so beautifully describe in the book, but you know, what are some, Give us an example of another practical technique that people can use to alleviate um, sure. stress and anxiety. Sure. Um, so you obviously know your audience best. I will. Ch I'll name two, and you tell me which one. How no. about either to do to do list with emotions or the mental short list? Oh, either or. I, I thought both of them could be applicable. Yeah. So. Okay, great. I'll just go with the mental short list then. Mm -hmm. So yep. one of the things that I've found about high functioning people is that we tend to have kind of tenacious minds, which mm -hmm. can be a blessing or a curse, right? So obviously, it's a blessing when, you know, we've got that laser beam focus on getting an A in a course, and it's helpful, you know, or laser beam focus, even on a relationship when it's, you know, budding and taking off, and it's exciting for both people, and it's, you know, going places together. But sometimes we have that laser beam focus pointed in the wrong direction and we're stuck in a groove and because of those high functioning tenacious minds um it can be frustrating so 
I introduced something that I created after sitting with all kinds of stressed out New Yorkers for, you know, a couple of years, something called the mental shortlist. Mm -hmm. And based on the simple principle that when we tell ourselves, don't think about pink elephants, all Mm -hmm. we can think about is pink elephants. And based on the idea that it's so much easier to pivot onto something when it's a good, juicy, interesting something. Um, what I had clients do is come up with a list of five things that they would rather be thinking about that would be good and healthy and productive and interesting. You know, things like getting a jump on your birthday and anniversary shopping or you know, some work project, or for some people, mm-hmm. it was looking ahead at the fall wardrobe, you know, everybody's got their thing. And then having a list, though, is the key. Because what's interesting is that in moments of heightened stress, like when that you can't whole it. thing comes, you can't get there. Exactly. Your brain shuts down to all these possible. Yeah, right. Yes. So, and so having that memory card helps so much. So it's, it switches gears. So, so okay, can, can you illustrate an example of how that would say you're, you're, you know, you're obsessing over, uh, you know, uh, whether uh, you're going to have a good uh, date night, you know, like, you know, uh, will I, will they reject me? You know, it looks like this is like uh, this, this, this potential date, uh, you know, is too handsome or too beautiful. Uh, will I measure up? You know, you're going on and on about that. Then you can pull out this card and you can say, well, here's a short list of things that I can go to. Well, that's that's that could be what it looks like. But one thing I would uh, think about is that the mental shortlist, again, is designed to pivot off of something that, that you've kind of done to death in your mind that mm-hmm. there's no more attention on it that's going to be helpful to you. Time to pivot mental shortlist. Mm-hmm. But suppose you're getting ready for that date. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, maybe maybe your your clothing could use a refresh or maybe, okay. you know, it would be helpful to like go on the internet and learn five things happening in current events or so, create so some it, plans for so yourself. So it's reasonable to be, up, uh, to be thinking about it. And, and, you know, you may not want to just blow it off. You may actually want to take tangible steps to make that a better experience or to enhance your confidence going into that situation. Yeah, you would want to ask yourself if the nervous energy was best used towards the goal that you were nervous about, if there's mm-hmm. something more you can do. Or if that nervous energy is best redirected onto something else. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, so it's 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 not you don't just blow it off. I mean, sometimes you it's appropriate to be apprehensive or to feel unprepared, and then you know take the proper measures so that you go into a situation with the proper uh, uh, you know all the various things that people do to accomplish something. Yeah, it would just be a healthy awareness. And then just, you know, instead of sitting there ruminating, we would say, well, you know, why don't you brush your teeth? (laughs) (laughs) You know, or just like whatever, like little pre-date routines could um, help ensure a good outcome. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, that's, you know, that sounds pretty pragmatic. Uh, Could you? You you have wonderful examples in your book about, uh, you know, profiling uh, ordinary people and people who really don't have psychiatric problems they're they're actually for optimization with you uh they're not in a tailspin often but they're finding that they're grinding their gears on certain things certain things are holding them back from optimal fulfillment and productivity so can you give us an example of, of you know at least to illustrate what we're talking about here 
Well, sure. So for, I mean, a lot of high functioning people might be doing really well in the area of work where they are relatively in control, you know, of, of the trajectory. Um, but when it comes to relationships, they maybe are struggling a little bit because for one of the first times in their life, it's really, you know, there's, there's a, a big factor that's just totally not up to them. And, you know, they have to deal with their own um, impressions of people suddenly changing, right? So they're used to, you know, maybe trusting their instincts and discovering that in dating, you know, when you're dating sophisticated people, as these clients as well are sophisticated, um, and maybe encountering the halo effect, right, where if you have a big wow first date and get some positive impressions. Um, I'm not sure if I'm getting exactly at your question, but yep. I've definitely seen it where high functioning people tend to do really well um, in one domain of life and then they're doing just fine in the mm -hmm. other, but it's just posing a little bit more of a challenge to them. Actually, you mentioned a scenario where uh, uh, accomplished women uh, might go into a dating situation and they're, they're, they're going for a win. You know, they, they want to like nail it. And so they're, they're effusive, they're appealing, uh, they're brilliant, uh, but it doesn't, uh, it doesn't leave them much time to reflect on is this, uh, date or this person that I'm with, uh, a worthy person for me to, <laughs> to win over. Uh, that's kind of an interesting situation, I think. Yeah, that's very true. And, you know, I can't help but wonder, you know, thinking about sex differences, as you said, you know, it, it is often women um, that that are more that way. Um, personality psychology studies, you know, I, I feel like I'm, I'm reaching back into graduate school. But if I remember correctly, uh, men tend to exhibit their need for power, the personality trait, you know, or, you know, just kind of in kind of obvious stereotypical ways. Mm -hmm. um, but but for women, a lot of times, I think it's actually about, you know, gaining the attention of others being well liked by others and, you know, nurturing relationships to a certain degree. So I can't help but wonder, you know, what exactly drives it. Um, but it is oftentimes more women, I've seen in my practice that are so focused on pleasing their date and hoping, you know, that he likes them and just obsessing about it to the point where they forget to think about if they even really like him. Right, right. <laughs> so you're <laughs> yeah, so, so you know, clearly that, that can be a problem. Uh, so, you know, coming back to this, this mindfulness uh, and the techniques associated with it, um, it, it's not just thinking. There is a physical component to it, and it has to do with breathing. Why, why breathing? Why even bother with that can't you just you know be just be mindful you know go out there and just you know uh engage your metacognition why does it have to mm -hmm. be you know there's there's a little bit of a ritual involved with it mm -hmm. well there is a ritual but the good news is is that you kind of can actually also you know just be mindful and in fact you're more likely to just be mindful if you've been doing a little bit of a mindful breathing practice, right? So what I tell clients is that it's kind of an old saying in Buddhist circles is that we want to be able to build a teepee during a thunderstorm, but we don't practice building a teepee during a thunderstorm. We practice it in calm weather so that if a thunderstorm strikes, we can whip it right up. And so that's why I do think it's important to do kind of a best practices thing where you, you know, have your eyes closed and do the whole you know, breathing technique a, a little bit so that you can 
go into that, you know, really deeply mindful space and experience what that's like. And then I think that your experience of just, quote, being mindful in the day to day will actually be a little bit deeper because you've built your mindfulness muscles a little bit. Is there something about engaging the neural circuitry through breathing that uh, and frees the mind uh, or, mm-hmm. you know, enables you to be a little bit less uh, reactive and subjective about things? Oh, of course, definitely. I mean, oxygen <laughs> definitely bathes the brain in oxygen. And so the, the brain is getting a nice dose of oxygen, which, of course, is going to, you know, certainly help you think a little better. And given that we tend to actually become slightly more shallow breathers and in times of stress, it's kind of a throwback from our caveman days of thinking it could be a lion and we don't want to take a deep breath and make the lion notice us. And so our breathing will get a little bit shallow, which, again, then sends this little kind of domino effect, almost like sounding a fire alarm in a building, your your body and your brain kind of start going into resource conservation mode and stuff, which is not the mode you want to be in when you want your whole self feeling, you know, loose in a good way, you know, kind of deep breath, oxygenated and loose, um, cognitively loose, uh, as opposed to feeling, you know, kind of uptight, you want to take that proverbial deep breath and, and move forward. Is it ever possible for people, you know, with severe anxiety or depression to, you know, when they when they quiet themselves, that they that their brain is just so flooded with negative thoughts that it it can be counterproductive. I mean, there are actually some uh, studies or some people assert that, you know, for some patients, this is not ideal. Oh, no, no, no. So let me be very clear. So, um, yeah, that we, I, I thought we were just talking about a deep breath. So a hundred, like a deep breath, I believe is always, is always a good starting point. But then if your next step is to notice, you know, that, you know, or to, to be, you know, in, in an extremely negative, caustic internal monologue, then you should absolutely, you know, one technique from the book is a, you know, cognitive behavioral oldie but goodie called thought replacement, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I would, I would absolutely not just say, well, let's take some deep breaths and, you know, embrace whatever thought stream we're having. With mindfulness, we, you know, do take a deep breath and then we have that metacognition over our thought stream. And we can recognize if it's a productive thought stream or a, you know, maladaptive thought stream. Mm-hmm. It does require, I think, a, a little bit of a more insightful type of personality to be able to pull that off. Because I think some it people are so, so thoroughly wedded to their thoughts and emotions that, you know, uh, you, you know, you know what I, I sometimes say, and I, maybe it's, you find it disrespectful to the field of psychology, as I said, uh, there are two types of crazy people. Everybody's crazy. The people who are crazy and don't acknowledge it and the people who are crazy and want to do something about it. Uh, you know, so, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we're all a little bit, shall we say, crazy. And I use that term loosely and not out of disrespect to them. No, to no, profession. no, of course. No, no. In fact, I, I agree with you. That, you know, to, to practice mindfulness, you know, on a deep level does require a certain amount of ability to reflect, you know, and notice your own thoughts. But practicing mindfulness actually builds that ability as well. And, you know, to your point, I mean, to me, it's kind of like saying like, well, to lift a hundred pound weight mm-hmm. requires a lot of muscle. Yeah, well, I was going to yes, use a muscle but, analogy. But, but, I mean, I think we yes. have a certain, many of us have a strong muscles in other respects, but a weak muscle in terms of metacognition and insight. 
Right. Which is, I think, you know, one, you know, final thought about that one is that, um, it's just so important then that we need to tell people that's why part of the, you know, kind of part of the mindfulness exercise, if you're really doing it in the quote, best practices way does include telling somebody else what you observed, or, you know, writing down your thoughts and journaling. And you certainly don't need to do that all the time, every time. I mean, I share an example in the book about where I had a panic attack on national TV practically, and took a quick mindful breath and just cleared my head. And, you know, I didn't have to close my eyes or chant or, you know, make a journal entry. But it's one of those things where if we give ourselves even just that five minute practice in, you know, best practices, that's when we have those muscles at the ready for those thunderstorm moments of life. Indeed. Okay, good and good advice. And you'll find, you know, lots more vignettes and uh, also uh, some sharing that today's author, uh, Dr. Chloe Carmichael, has for you. Uh, nervous energy, harness the power of your anxiety. It's a great concept. Uh, you know, the, the goal is not to, you know, make your anxiety disappear uh, as so many books uh, advise us to do, but to harness your anxiety uh, to uh, maintain a high level of uh, personal and professional satisfaction and achievement. Uh, great stuff. I mean, I really enjoyed the book and uh, I wanted to share it with our audience. I recommend it very highly. And uh, Dr. Chloe, you've got a, a website as well where you post uh, different things and you have mm, podcasts. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, nervousenergybook.com is the website for the book. And people can also get Nervous Energy on Amazon or anywhere that books are sold. So nervousenergybook.com is, is really the, the best way to find me. Excellent title. That's a really awesome title. It's so hard to come up with titles for books, and I think you really nailed it. Thanks very much, Thank Dr. You. Chloe, for joining us, Dr. Chloe Carmichael. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and this is the Intelligent Medicine Podcast. As an Intelligent Medicine listener, you know how important it is to ensure that your supplements are genuine, safe, and effective. But vetting your sources and tracking down the exact products you need can be a hassle. That's why I'm inviting you to browse my online supplement dispensary at drhoffmanstore.com. We stock only the highest quality supplements, some of which are very hard to find elsewhere. The very same supplements I prescribe to my patients and take myself. My specially curated professional-grade supplements are fulfilled via the Fullscript network. Fullscript is the safest and most convenient way to purchase my medical-grade supplements. Buying through Fullscript offers fast shipping, optional refill reminders, a mobile-friendly site. It's safe, secure, and HIPAA-compliant, and offers world-class support. Just go to drhoffmanstore.com to sign up for your free Fullscript account. That's drhoffmanstore.com, drhoffmanstore.com.